Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. How are we doing today? Thank you for tuning in to the Max Schmarzo podcast with your host, your only host, me, myself, and I, Max Schmarzo. Um, and by the way, if you want to join the Always an Athlete team, you're more than welcome to. Seven-day free trial out there for those of you interested. Train six days a week. If six days a week is too many, well, it can usually be cut down to four if it really needs to be. Um, and you can, you know, have a great time doing some upper body lifts, some lower body lifts, all the fun movement, explosive training while getting your upper body jacked. That sounds like your cup of tea. You can try it out. Seven day free trial. It's always an athlete team. It's a seven day free trial. Cause if you don't like it, don't stick around. That's okay. You don't have to like my program you can give it a try. If you want, you can give it a go. If you want to stick around, that's awesome. Dope. Thanks for joining the team. If you don't, well, that's okay too. I appreciate you trying it out. Not your cup of tea. That's okay too. So let's dive in today. By the way, I always forget to do this. I'm a disaster at introducing or introing a podcast. But today's topic is being yourself. Um, and this comes from a lot of questions I've gotten from younger coaches, from older coaches, from other coaches, coaches of all ages. And it comes from an area of two places. Um, it comes from the social media world. And it comes from the actual athlete interaction world. Now, I'll start off anecdotally. For me, this is something that I've gotten way more comfortable with. Actually, I'm totally comfortable with now, but initially was not something I was totally comfortable with because let me just talk you through my journey as a strength coach. And as I talk you through it, you'll understand. So I started off oh, lifting weights. I guess this is when the journey starts, right? I was doing a Joe DeFranco West Side for skinny bastards. And I remember doing this in high school. I remember not doing any of the speed work because I thought the speed work was dumb. I just did like the max effort push-ups and the heavy work. But that was my first introduction to lifting weights. And at that time, social media was not abundant. You had YouTube. And that's where I got basically Joe DeFranco's workouts because I would watch his video montages, which I thought were so cool. Heavy trap bar lifts, guys sprinting, guys jumping. I would just copy the exercises. I had no idea the sets and reps. And I would do them. And that was my first intro to uh, strength and conditioning. So I was like, okay, cool. This is a world I want to go into. Now, I went to school. And I said, well, I want to do this. And I want to play basketball at the same time. But um, I know my pursuits in basketball would be limited. So I got an athletic training degree. I got strength and conditioning degree. Got my CSCS when I graduated. And along that time, I did some internships. Um, and what you learn during those internships are many different things, but you learn, at least for myself, how quickly I felt like I wasn't, my personality was not the right personality. I had to be something else, act a different way in my presentation of myself as a strength coach, because my personality did not match many other strength coaches. I was not innately loud. I'm a person with high energy, but I'm not a yeller at people. My experience at the time was you yell at people in strength and conditioning. Um, I, I'm a person who is kind of nerdy. You know, I, I like Pokemon. I played card games growing up. Yeah, I played basketball, but I really enjoy lots of other things outside of basketball and being quote unquote tough. I didn't like loud rock music. Um, and, I, and I really didn't enjoy the idea of, of acting, um, outside of who I was. But at that time I thought that is the best way to do it. And so 
naturally so. I talked with a lower voice. I yelled with a lower voice. I yelled a lot. I said things just to say things. And some of those things were actually useful because the projection of a voice is helpful to learn when you're in a group setting. Being able to articulate your words is really helpful in a group setting. I am someone who speaks fast. If I speak a little bit lower in tone, when I speak in a large group setting, I typically speak a little bit slower. The faster I talk, the higher pitch my voice gets. Probably heard that on this podcast before. So those were some good learning experiences from just a pure sake of communication. So not everything was a total, um, not waste isn't the right word, but wasn't totally incorrect. But again, I didn't feel like I was myself. And a lot of that time, it stemmed from the fact that if you really reflect on strength and conditioning, it's a very small portion in a large scale of events for an athlete. And as an athlete, as a basketball player, I viewed weightlifting as something you did just like anything else in lifting, but I didn't understand the purpose, not lifting, in training, but I didn't understand the purpose of it. To me, it was merely a means of conditioning, getting yourself in quote unquote shape. I never saw much value in it. I lifted because I knew there was value in it, but really honestly objective, I didn't see much value in it as an athlete. And as a strength coach, I kind of went back to that. Mentally, you would reflect and be like, man, and what I doing, does that really matter? And because I couldn't well define my purpose, my meaning, my intent, I would mask it with, a louder voice and pointing out incorrectness in things that weren't necessarily needed to be correct. I spoke more in absolutes about things. This is how we're going to do things. This is why we're going to do things. It wasn't as collaborative as it could have been or should have been. It wasn't discussive and it wasn't always the most thoughtful. Now, retrospectively, maybe being a little hard on myself here, but that's a little bit of the honest opinion. And a lot of that stems from the fact that at that time, I was convincing myself that what I was doing was correct because I was taught a certain way in strength conditioning. If you think about this in terms of like a surgeon's degree, which it's not, it's obviously not, but we are taught basically to do surgery before we're taught to do the science. What I mean by that is we're taught how to do a squat, how to do a lunge, how to make a basic training program before we ever even understand the significance of those training variables and the movements. You're, you're taught to program first, ask questions later. And so when you first make your training program, very rarely do you ever feel convinced that what you're doing is correct. And often this feeling stays with you. And that's so, I think one of the roots and reasons why you see on social media all these different fads and things, especially in strength conditioning, seems to be very um, susceptible to extreme fads can catch on because if everyone else is doing it, there's a safety in numbers, a safety in numbers and the fact that, look, everyone's doing it. That must be the right way. And I could list you 20 different fads that went through when I'm not an old strength coach at all, but I have experience since I've been lifting. Yes. You know, just, I don't want to go through them all, but the point is there's lots. And a lot of times as a strength coach at that time, I felt that the best way to portray my knowledge or the knowledge I thought I had was to create some sort of a leverage point 
in the setting. For example, we might do some sort of movement screening, movement analysis. They might do a lunge. And instead of just merely accepting the lunge pattern is pretty darn good, I would over point out things that could be tweaked, things that could be corrected. <clears throat> and in doing such, I felt like I was providing value because I was showcasing that they were doing something that they could have changed. And by causing and creating change, I had created value. But that's not necessarily true in terms of value being value directed towards the athlete's goal. So I always felt pressure to try and coach, coach everything. As a young strength coach, you take an obsessive pride in warming up. It's one of the few variables you can really control. As a strength coach now, I don't recall the last time I have been picky about a warm-up. To be totally honest with you, I talk to the athlete. What do you want to do? It's your body. How do you feel? I tell them what we're going to do the day, today. I tell them the goal of the day. And I might suggest some things we could do in the warm-up, but they are professional athletes. They know how to warm up very well. And if I don't think they're warmed up, I'll talk to them and have a discussion about it. But at the end of the day, I'm not the one controlling the warm-up. So it's funny. As a strength coach, when I first started, everything I wanted to control is the warm-up. Where the bands were set, the cones were set, how many ladders were out, hurdles were out, the distance. And that's really important in a group setting from a logistical standpoint because you have lots of athletes. I carry that same mindset over. And it was simply to the fact that I wanted to portray some bit of knowledge by showcasing my ability to line cones up. But at the time, I wouldn't even truly couldn't justify the movement patterns I was doing. And it actually wasn't until a lot of my learning came from I was at Iowa State. And this kind of was a really great eye opener. At the same time at Iowa State, I was in grad school. I worked with a, a great strength coach, Coach Bo, who I really enjoyed working with at Iowa State. Gave me tons of freedom. He was very encouraging. Um, and that was really awesome because as a young strength coach, a lot of times you're told what to do because the higher strength coach wants to impose their opinion upon you. And having a collaborative discussion really inspired me to continue that throughout. So Coach Bo did an amazing job to help me see that. On top of that, I, I worked with you know the athletes there, but I also had a TA job working with older adults. And that was really awesome because you got to experience training from a means that wasn't just athlete-based. It was really client-based. And understanding that, you got exposed to many faults you had because you can't yell at old people. You're not creating power leverage. This person has been around longer than you. They've seen more than you. You can learn from them. And that was something that was really significant to me. And that kind of started to turn the wheels as to whether or not what I was doing is correct. But continuing on with that, that's where really my interest in science came from. Because I came to a certain point where I felt so wildly inadequate. I felt like I was missing something. I couldn't actually justify what I was doing. I could justify in the sense that other people had done it before me and they maybe had gotten specific results, but I truly didn't understand why. And I would often mask that with it's some sort of, um, I wouldn't call it belittling, but um, 
some sort of like not scoffing is not the right world word either, but maybe ignoring other aspects or means and methods that could yield some value. I, uh, I, I would stay adamant in my beliefs and they became beliefs in the sense that I only believed them, but I didn't even have a, a spectrum of confidence from zero to hundred percent in belief because I couldn't even provide the evidence as to why I believed it, which makes it very difficult. Cause if you don't know your why, you can't compare evidence because if you don't have evidence and someone presents new evidence, well, what are you comparing the new evidence to? You're comparing it to strictly a belief. And when it's strictly a belief, you don't have any evidence to compare new evidence to. So the only way to combat the new evidence is to ignore it, typically emotionally with some sort of anger or frustration. So that's what happened. And so I started to read a lot of research. Wonderful books, Pavo, Comey, Neuromuscular Aspects of Performance and with strength and power and sport. A lot of Verkashansky's original works, not necessarily you know, super trains one, but there's um, Fundamentals of Special Strength Training. It's written in the 1980s. It's a typewriter text. Elite FTS and Westside Barbell. Elite FTS and Westside Barbell sell these books. I think it's programming organization of something as well. They're both older books. And they're not really read often or talked about in our curriculums. Wonderful theoretical books. So I started reading a lot of these books. And I started to understand there is something to this. But my first mistake, and a big mistake, was I took, I was so excited about uncovering this new information that again, I, I took it because my old formation of thought was based on beliefs, not like a percent of evidence. I just started to believe what I read. Again, which is an issue. It's a good thing I'm reading, but I would believe what I read. And then my, <laughs> my opinions would change week to week, month to month. So initially, I started off with, this, hey, I got to be myself um, and want to read more. But then I still had these old habits that were created from my early strength coaching uh, influences. Um, and so eventually I kind of developed a better thought process. So I felt like I got my thought process down pretty well. I got my critical thinking down. One of the last pieces was my own personality. And that was when I worked with athletes. I, I felt a pressure to act a certain way that the athletes would expect me to act or act a certain way in which I would think a coach who works with high-level athletes would act. Um, and that typically was with some air of importance, some air of significance, some aspect of me being better than whatever else. I'm not sure what I'd be compared to. I'm not better than the athlete. I'm better than something, I guess. And again, not being myself. It wasn't until that I really started to train athletes on a higher level of under my, like, put it this way, when I started training them more in depthly, maybe that's not the right word, but for more extended periods of times, I started to realize that they, they are people too. <laughs> like they, they have their own interests. They're all very unique. They have their own isms, just like you have your own isms and you accept them for them. And they accept you for you. So this putting on this charade, this song and dance that we're supposed to be someone else is just something you're fooling yourself because people can see through it. People can see through when you're being faked or acting a certain way. And that's something that was really important for me. And when I, now when I work with people, I, I don't have the, uh, the, uh, the, the inclination to act that way anymore, which I'm very thankful for. I reflect on why I acted that way in the first place. And it was simply because I imposed that 
based on my experiences of how I judge myself relative to how I thought my peers would judge me, not to how like athletes or people I'd work with would judge me. And so often I would see coaches who act a certain way, who maybe who are really good at certain things and they command a presence or they do X, Y, and Z. And I thought, well, if they're in that position, that's what I need. So then I would judge my own actions based on how that coach is acting. But then the day we're working to help the players and athletes, and the more that you can be yourself and you're not spending time being someone else, the more you can spend time helping the people you're actually working with. You're not concerned with being who you are and you're just concerned with helping the athlete get to where they want to be. And if that person doesn't accept you for your own isms and your own interests, that's a whole different conversation. But I've never ran into an athlete that is like that because, I, again, I think most people respect people who are themselves. And so I think it's really important to reflect on that and think about you as a coach, you as a person, and how you should, that's, there might be things you do as a coach, like your vo voice, you might change a little bit because it's easier to hear. You might speak a little slower because you know, like myself, I tend to ramble and, you know, mutter and it's hard to hear me if I'm talking really fast. I lack clarity, which at times can be an issue. So I can change some things when I go into coaching, but I'm not changing who I am. I'm not all of a sudden in this weird power struggle where I'm trying to show significance by degrading something or pointing out incorrectness over coaching. Instead, I approach it as much more of a collaboration. I am a resource the athlete is accessing. If I was the athlete, I was accessing a resource and this person, this resource, this Google search engine was just mean and adamant and would yell at me about doing things. I wouldn't go back to it. I would want to go to a resource that says, Hey, are you interested in this? Do you want to learn this? Should we do this? It becomes collaborative. I'm aiding in the athlete's development and the athlete knows themselves best. That's so important to understand. And the more you understand that about as a coach, the more you can put yourself in the right position to help the athlete achieve what they want to achieve. And at the same time, you can be yourself. You can be who you want to be. You're not having to act a certain way to be a certain way. And then having to deal with the consequences of how you feel based on that. And then when you're acting a certain way, you're not going to be, there's lots of issues that come with it. Like I mentioned, your, your thought processes might be skewed. I know mine were, if I was acting a certain way, I believed a certain way. And that was my framework. Versus just like, I'm going to be myself and be the best version I can be to help this athlete get to where they want to be. And so those are some things I've learned. Um, I continue to learn and get better at. I don't think anyone's perfect at anything they do. And everyone at times feels judged or they judge themselves based on how they think others will judge them. And sometimes we judge ourselves based on how others will judge us based on people who don't impact us. Like so concerned with how other strength coaches view me and I'm not going to train other strength coaches and that's okay. So I'm not really concerned if they think I'm soft-spoken or weird or it's bizarre. I wear, I make a podcast that talks about aliens and I wear sometimes an astronaut outfit and you know, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> They're not the ones who I work with. Um, I, I care that the athletes I work with know I'm very sincere and directed towards helping them. And I do my best to try and do that. And I care. And so the more I think we spend time doing that, the better we can actually help our athletes at the same time being kind of not vulnerable, but humble 
in the sense that, look, we know we don't know everything. Well, guess what learning is learning. Every time you learn something, you're admitting, you, admitting you didn't know something. So learning itself is very vulnerable in nature because every time you learn something, you're basically saying, look, I didn't know this before. And now I do. I had lacking knowledge prior to this exposure to learning. And so by nature, learning is kind of this process. So we have to have this mindset that allows us to do that. So I hope that makes sense. I hope that's helpful to some coaches out there. Uh, I just wanted to share it with you all and some things that has helped me, things that I've went through and maybe it's relatable. So I appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Take care. And peace out.